My son sacrificed his life to save me. These powers are not a gift, but a curse. Born out of rage. This loose cannon needs to be locked down before innocent people start getting hurt. He's been asleep for 5,000 years. You find us a cell that can hold him, we'll take care of the rest. Who's on the team? I didn't bring a passport. We don't need passports. We're the Justice Society. Black Adam. We're here to negotiate your peaceful surrender. Heard about at least three killers this afternoon. I'm not peaceful. Nor do I surrender. I kneel before no one. You didn't come here to seek justice. You came to exact revenge. I never said I was a hero. Giving you respect, I expect the same thing. You believe you are not worthy. But fate does not make mistakes. You have two paths. You can be the destroyer of this world, or you can be its savior. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 163rd episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and joining me, of course, is my podcasting partner in crime, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Uh, you know me, I'm living the dream. Beach life tends to agree with me, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> fantastic well uh, today we have quite the quite the movie to discuss because we are talking black adam from 2022 this was directed by Jaume Collet serra who uh, this is my note for directing such films as jungle cruise orphan and house of wax the remake of course it was written by adam skeel rory haynes and sorab Noshivani, while the score is by lawn balfi and uh, this film cost apparently 195 million dollars to make and so far has made around 30 million at the box office but of course it's too close to call because it just came out a couple of days ago so we'll have to wait and see whether it makes its money back but in the meantime let's actually get to first impressions i mean how what what did you make of this movie you know and, and such and uh, yeah did it match your expectations um I, i'm i'm i was expecting a lot and a little hmm. all at the exact same time, if that makes any sense. So right. I was expect because it's The Rock, you have that higher expectation because you've seen him in Jungle Cruise, which is a decent rock movie. You know, you've seen him in Hobbs and Shaw, which is another one of his big budget movies. This is like his third highest opening weekend movie in his career. So you kind of have that expectation, like it's going to be, you know, a Fast and the Furious or Sean Hobbs, that kind of level. You know, he he plays a brooding anti-hero hero. You know, we've seen it before. We'll see it again. The, the movie, while it was 
okay. It was kind of underwhelming at the same time. You know, they kind of stuck to the same repetitive special effect trick every fight. So the fights became very repetitive. It reminded me almost of like they were trying to make it like 300, but didn't do enough homework on 300 to see why those slow motion battle scenes did so well. You know, here mm-hmm. every fight, except for the initial you know, intro when he gets released is all done in that slow motion. And you're like, okay, great. Another one. Oh, uh, okay. We're going to do this again. Uh, okay. Hey, look, we're on fight number seven and it's still this slow motion. I get it. He moves really fast. Like you don't need to repeat that same, you know, special effect trope, whichever term you'd like to use over and over again. And it kind of wore, it kind of took away from the overall movie. I I liked most of the cast. There were several characters they could have done without, and I would never have cared. Um, You know, the main character, he, you know, the rocks character, he has a very crazy backstory and, you know, you get into it, but you don't get into it until almost the very, I don't know, 30 minutes of the movie or so when Mm -hmm. it comes to light, what the quote unquote twist is, but the rest of the movie, you're just like, you know, a lot of sighing, you know, I explained this movie to other people I know without giving away spoilers as suicide squad, but with superheroes, because the whole story kicks off with Amanda Wilder calling the justice society, which by the way, I don't know where they were during the whole Batman versus Superman or suicide squad, or literally any other point in this movie. They're like the eternals where, you know, they could have really done some good, but man, they're just going to hang out here and do, I don't know, play cards for all I know. So it, it was very kind of, you know, they were irrelevant, honestly, to the core story. If the justice society had never gone to this fictitious country, the story would have still ended the exact same way. It might have taken a little bit longer or a little bit less, depending on how you look at it, but it would have had the same exact end result, which kind of makes the whole story pointless. And then the Justice Society on a whole was very half-hearted. You know, you had Dr. Fate, which is literally the strongest character in the DC universe, magical-wise, and he gets beaten by Black Adam. And you're like, that that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't work because Black Adam is weak toward magic. And this guy is literally the embodiment of magic. So that kind of whatever. And then you had Hawkman, which was the DC universe's failed attempt at, I'm going to say, Black Panther. You know, he had the armor. He had this, the jet. The jet was made out of this special metal. And you're like, wow, I think I've seen this before. This, this seems a lot like, oh, what's that movie again? Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that's exactly what that is. So, you know, they, they recycled another trope from the MCU. And, you know, you had Adam Smasher, which okay, I guess he's a cool character, but he didn't play any vital part in the story other than to be comedy relief. He was very quippy, very Deadpool-ish. Heck, his costume even looked like a Deadpool knockoff, you know, and that they were even talking about that in the the trailers. You know, you saw the websites are like, hey, look, it's a Deadpool, another Deadpool. And he really kind of was another Deadpool because he was snarky and sarcastic. And then they had... Oh, was it the temptress? Like the, the young uh, lady? Cyclone, Cyclone. Cyclone. Sorry. Yeah, they had Cyclone. She 
could have been a really cool character, but she was again relegated to like the the extra cast. You know, she was in a couple of key scenes, but honestly, if she wasn't there and Adam Smasher wasn't there, I I wouldn't have you know necessarily lost any sleep over it because they didn't move the story along. They didn't really push it along. They just and they had this weird, awkward romance love thing going on. I was like, what what does this have to do with anything? Like, do we have time for this? Like, you literally have this demigod kicking around the universe and you guys are like, hey, let's flirt on an airplane because the adults have left us here alone. Like, really? We're, we're going to go that route? So, you know, that there was a lot of potential, but just poor execution across the whole story. You know, Amanda Wilder, and I'm going to spoil it right now. She's in the bonus scene where she's like, I can call in a favor. And the favor is Superman. Why would you not lead with that? Why did you call the Justice Society? Like, what was the point of this? Like, if you have literally the, you know, quote unquote, strongest being in the current DC universe on speed dial, why do you send in the B team? Like, that just didn't make any sense. You know, a lot of these, like, if you thought about it longer than 30 seconds, it just didn't make any sense. Then you get to the whole story where there's this uprival or upheaval rather in this fictitious, you know, Egyptian Middle East type of country. And that was supposed to be the whole story is this mother uh, and her son and brother and an associate are looking to kind of stop the, was it intergang? Yeah, from, it was intergang. Yeah. Yeah doing all this, you know, bad stuff because Intergain had taken over their country, which was apparently always, always been under some type of slave enslavement. You know, in the beginning, when you see Black Adam for the first time, he's overthrowing that government, you know, and then it goes 5,000 years later, they apparently have not learned at all. So they're back in the same predicament all over again. And she's trying to stop Intergain from finding this crown that was mentioned in the beginning of the story you're like all right fine whatever she finds meanwhile intergang's been pillaging this country for who knows how long they have never found it she purely by accident finds it because she has this pendant around her neck this macguffin device that she's like oh look i have this thing that looks like a mountain hey those look like mountains that look like my chain let's go over there and they go into this cave and they're reading through all these you know, ancient hieroglyphics and she gets through and they find the tomb and she releases Black Adam. You would have thought at some point when they, you know, um, locked him away that they would have put on their do not open ever because, you know, he wasn't the Black Adam they had thought he was. You know, here's another plot twist is it was really his son that should have gotten the power or had the powers and you see in literally one scene the Black Adam that all of us are familiar with from the DC comic books, the slick black hair, you know, the tall build and so on and so forth. You see him for a half a second. And then that's the black Adam that should have received the powers because his son was trying to overthrow the government where the father who is the rock was just kind of like, no, you know, we'll save it for another day. Somebody will be a hero and so on and so forth. They, the son passes the powers on to their father. You know, to, and now The Rock has the powers of Shazam, and he, you know, 
takes out the king. But he goes basically crazy with power and the wizard Shazam and the other wizards lock him away. Again, big warning label, do not open ever. Like that, then none of this would have happened. But nope, they don't put that on there. They're just like, speak his name. I don't know why you would have put that on there. Again, none of this would have happened if just like 30 seconds of common sense have kicked in at any point anywhere in this movie. So, you know, I get it. They had to, you know, release Black Adam. And in the comic books, he was actually banished to outer space or, you know, in even the cartoon, he was banished to outer space and it took him 5,000 years to get back to earth. So I get it. They needed time to pass and they were trying to put a, a fun twist on it. But, you know, when it finally came to the big battle, they spent most of this movie with black Adam fighting the justice society. And then finally the big bad gets this crown, which when you put the crown on imbues the equivalent of the seven demons, their power. So it makes him or her, whoever wears this crown, their hero or champion of evil. So the bad guy puts it on and you find out he's the last remaining descendant of the original King who made this crown. And you're like, all right, that wasn't, I wasn't expecting that at all ever, you know, big plot twist. Like, no, that was, to be expected you know nothing was really original and you know groundbreaking anything that happened you're kind of like yeah i assumed that was going to happen or you know this was going to happen and literally it happened almost in that cadence so when he the great 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 whatever the hell he is grandson of the fallen king puts the crown on and he becomes the big bad there's a fight for like 30 seconds and then it's over and you're like what i don't how you spent 97% of this movie with Black Adam fighting the Justice Society just to eventually come to terms with his powers and abilities and then fight the bad guy and beat him in two seconds. And you're like, oh, that was very underwhelming. The only nice thing I could say was the fact that as you saw him growing into his powers, and it's one of these dumb little observations, the lightning bolt on his chest got brighter. And if you noticed at the very end when he's fighting the big bad, he's got the cape now and he's got the bright lightning bolt, sort of like Shazam does in his movie. So you could see him now um, become worthy, for a lack of a better term, of his powers and abilities. So that was kind of a fun, you know, little, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, observation or minor detail. But really, again, you know, was this, you know, Emmy worthy type of material? No. Was this, you know, is this going to win some sort of special effects award? Probably, but it's definitely not going to win anything for acting or originality or anything of that nature. Well, it's interesting that you say all that because I will definitely first off say it was great to have Viola Davis back as Amanda Waller. Granted, it was a very brief appearance, but heck, she very much elevated the film being such a great, great actress that she is. So it was cool to see Viola Davis. And I will say that, you know, Teth Adam, of course, or Black Adam, you know, take your pick, at least in the modern era, to me, was always a character that fascinated me as he went from being kind of more than just Shazam's opposite number and was very much given his own story and his own motivation and became less of a villain and more of an anti-hero who, at least in the comics, literally sees himself as the elected protector and, I guess, dictator of Kandak. So I was curious to see actually in what direction how Mikolet Serra and his writers would go. 
And honestly, he's a little bit of both and a little bit of either at the same time. I mean, I was not expecting a particularly good film. So I went into this with very low expectations. And I have to say that it is a good movie, but not a great one. Is it better than Morbius? By all means, yes. But I, and I did find myself chuckling along at some of the gags in this film, along with my fellow theatre-going audience. So was I entertained? Yes. Could they have done more with this film? Absolutely. Because for a large part of it, like you said, you're barely sort of understanding is what is the point of this film? What is the motivation? What, where are we going with all this? And I'm sure we will get into this as we get into our characters. But yes, I mean, like you said, it could have easily have been a um, Black Adam versus Superman, which a lot of people may have wanted to see because as we know, one of Superman's main weaknesses is magic. And Shazam, even in the comics, is one of the few characters who can literally stand up to Superman and Black Adam having, you know, very similar power set, if not the exact same power set, it would have made for an interesting fight. But, um, and like you said, Amanda Waller has Superman on, on call. She calls these guys in. No diss in these guys. I mean, no disrespect, but still, you have one of the heaviest hitters in the DC universe and you call these guys in. Okay. But uh, that said, I'm sure we'll talk about that when we, more when we get to our mid-credits scene. In the meantime, let's look at our characters uh, in better detail with our titular character himself, Dwayne Johnson, aka The Rock, as Teth Adam slash Black Adam. So uh, yeah, Keith, you know, you mentioned it a little bit here and there, but as a whole, what did you make of, of uh, Black Adam in this, in this film as an introduction to the DC universe? Um. He was very one-dimensional, honestly. You know, through most of the movie, he is just quiet and brooding. And every time you see him, he's quiet and brooding. And he just gives you a look. He doesn't have much to say ever. He kind of reminded me of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator in Terminator 2, where he just kind of gave you this look. He, he gave you the eyebrow. And, he, and the whole joke through half of this movie was him trying to come up with some stupid catchphrase. Because the kid was like, Every hero has one. Like, that's what you're harping on, a catchphrase. Not that you just woke up a guy who's 5,000 years old and he's got all these crazy powers. No, no, he needs a catchphrase. Like, you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot they could have done with him. Like you said, he, his comic book story has grown so much more outside of the, you know, bad guy of the week you know, magic supervillain. And the thing is, we assume that Superman is going to have the same magic weakness in the movies. You know, we haven't really seen him because he hasn't gone toe to toe with anybody with magic. So he might not have that. He It could be worse. It could be better. We don't know because, again, we have not seen them come to blows. But, you know, they could have done more. You know, the stuff with the trauma with the family. You know, they drop that in at like the most random scene when he's face to face with the bad guy. And he's like, I heard so-and-so cried when so-and-so died. And you're like, is that supposed to mean something? Like, I, I don't, okay, that could be a big deal. I don't, I don't know. But they gloss over it. And then, you know, right before the very end, you come to find out that it was his son that died. And then you have to sit there and go, but wait a minute, his son's supposed to be Black Adam. And then there's that flashback to ancient Imaginarian land where you see the son come into the room, transform back and save his father because he had held his father in that much respect. His father was his superhero. So he tried to, you know, he wanted to save him with his powers and then just to turn around and get killed two seconds later, 
which if he had all the Black Adam's powers, he could literally move the speed of light and he could have caught that arrow. But whatever, that's a minor detail. So, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that could have been brought up sooner in the movie and you see him unpack that and see him really kind of go through that transformation because you see him in modern day bad imaginary land and i'm going to keep calling it that because in the comic books it was egypt but they decided to change it for the movies um you see him in front of a statue and everybody assumes it's a statue of him but it's not it's the statue of his son being the black adam persona and you can't tell that because the statue is so degraded because it is 5,000 years old and it has seen some crap in its time. So you just see a figure that sort of looks like Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Black Adam, opposed to the son, his you know imaginary son's character. Um, and then you know he's very you could see him growing, but it kind of got stunted very quickly. You know when the Justice Society came in and they just started swinging hammers and beating the crap out of him before even, you know, checking to see if he is gone crazy or mad with power or whatever the documents that they had had locked away somewhere that only they had seen um, had said had happened. They just literally come in swinging and try to beat his brains in. And you're like, maybe we could talk to him. I, I don't know, you know, but they don't do that. They literally just come in guns a blazing and, you know, just go straight to fighting the entire movie. I will say I did find it funny when he kept flying through buildings instead of using doors. And, you know, the, the, the kid and his mom were like, did they not have doors back then? Because you just keep flying through stuff. And it's literally one room to another and just keeps flying through walls. So I did, you know, get some, you know, of the jokes. They, they landed pretty well. But at the same time, it was the repetitiveness. Like, you know, him running up against the, the inter gang and them shooting at him and the, the builds bolts bouncing off of him. And then this fictitious metal that doesn't actually exist in the end, uh, the DC universe, they pull out of nowhere and that's the thing that can hurt him. And you're like, so he's got a weakness to this metal and magic. All right. And they just so happen to have put this metal in a, a missile of some type, you know, a rocket propelled grenade and shoot it at him. They don't put in any of the bullets or literally anything else. Just this one missile that you shoot on one time. Like, where the hell is that the rest of the movie? Nah, we don't know. Like, that's no. a kill. It, it boggles my mind, some of the decisions. But again, I digress. <laughs> well, you make some very fair points. I mean, I, I am going to openly say that with the, you know, you mentioned uh, some of the movies that you, you've seen uh, Dwayne in. I'm actually going to openly say that with the exception of DC's League of Super Pets, this is my first full-fledged film featuring The Rock as films in which he has been featured thus far, were actually never ones I had much interest in watching. So I was personally curious to see how Dwayne would fare as a superhero. And by and large, I agree. I mean, I think Dwayne himself did what he had to do, I guess. I mean, with him, you do have these very two typical movie traits. I think on one hand, you have the reluctant hero. 
And on the other, we have the fish out of water and how our character adapts to that. And, you know, when we first meet Adam, he does come across as being very much a blank slate of anger. And he lashes about, out about everything and anything, which you know, works for our good guys, as he takes care of intergang pretty swiftly and spends a large part of the movie being almost a misunderstood monster, I guess, by our members of the JSA. And no surprise, these guys, these guys fight for a large portion of this film until... Out of nowhere, this common threat arises that brings Adam and the JSA to ally against. And I was just, I don't know about you, but I just was not clear on Adam's motivation, as I don't really think he has one till he is given one. I mean, as far as he's concerned, he could have probably carried on being asleep in his prison, and he doesn't really feel any kind of attachment towards Kandak until Sabak arrives and mainly just takes his anger and the loss of his family out on intergang and whoever tends to disagree with him while spouting out things like, I do sarcasm now. But other than that, I mean, I consider him very much a blank slate. He almost reminded me of Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. Like literal, he's so literal in everything when it comes to getting concepts like sarcasm and like humor, which seem very alien to him at first. As he almost seems, I, I got the impression of very much a mindless machine of destruction and pain who will literally destroy first and ask questions later. And only towards the end of the film, he has that epiphany of, hey, maybe being conduct's protector is not all that bad. I did, though, also like that little um, throwback to the, some of the comic book artwork, one of the more famous pictures of, of Black Adam ways kind of leaning back on the throne. And I like that they did that. That was kind of fun where he's like, oh, I could probably be like emperor of Kandak. And he's like, nah, I won't do it. But I did like that moment, just the way he sits back and the pose was very cool. But all in all, I just very much got, he's a blank slate and he's literally trying to make his way in the world. No, I would agree. Since he's so disconnected, he's trying to find his place. And the first thing that happens to him, he gets punched in the face by some random person. So, of course, he's going to be aggressive because he's getting shot at. He's been out of, he just woke up. And the first thing that happens is he's getting attacked. So, of course, he's going to be aggressive. So, and 99% of the people that meet him are aggressive toward him. So it's not like he just woke up and just like started to lay waste to everything. It's literally, except for, you know, like three people, everybody's attacked him. So he's defending himself. He, he's, you know, not the bad guy per se that everybody's perceiving him to be. He's really just a fish out, like you said, the fish out of water, blank slate. He doesn't know what's going on. So he's just defending himself. Yeah, I think so too. That's why I also made me think of Frankenstein's monster a lot because maybe he looks scary and he looks kind of threatening. And so what are they going to do? They're going to attack him. So, you know, it would be interesting if we ever get a sequel, how it plays in and what kind of character Adam is by then. If we ever get a sequel, we might do seeing the mid credit scene, but also depending, I guess, on how successful this film is and how many uh, films Dwayne signed to do. I mean, I know he really is excited about being a superhero and playing within the superhero world. So I wouldn't be surprised if they put him down for a couple more movies. So uh, let's then get to some other characters here, our Kandakian family, which find themselves embroiled within Adam's world. We have Sarah Shahi as Adriana Tomoz, who's actually a character in the comics. She's actually a goddess herself in the comics. We have a Bodhi Sabongwi as Amon Tomoz and Mohammed Amer as Karim. So uh, what did you make of our three humans in this, Keith? <sighs> uh, um, I wanted to like them. I'm going to be honest. 
at least with her, she made the most sense. You know, she was the archaeologist, the scholar, so, and the one who releases Black Adam and kind of, you know, tries to explain to him what's going on in the world. Uh, even her son, he was okay. She very much was like the Sarah Connor and he was the son where they're teaching him about present day, you know, of the world, the brother, the electrician, I don't care. Like he's just this relevant waste of time. There's parts of the movie. You forget he's even there and he pops back up again and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, he gets shot and Dr. Fate's like, Oh, don't worry. You're not going to die by this. You're going to die by electricity. And you realize he's an electrician. So I don't want to have this guy work in my house, but the two of them, they were kind of more relevant to the core of the story. I, I think with the son, they were trying to make him the pseudo son that Black Adam had from 5,000 years ago. And that's how he kind of looked at him. Um, but the scenes, the random scenes that he was in by himself just seemed kind of forced a little bit. You know, his first interaction with Intergang, he's, you know, losing his crap with him. He's fighting with him. He's like, you, you people are invading my country. And you're like, oh, okay. And then every time you see him run into people, it's always, you know, we need to rise up. We need to rise up. And then at some random point in the movie, he's in a crowd of people and he pulls up the sign from the beginning of the movie that somehow everybody's supposed to know and motivates these people to rise up and fight this zombie army that had popped up or skeleton army that pops up. But in terms of, you know, could they have done more with them? Definitely. Would have been great to see him. Um, I was actually hoping that the helmet of fate would have kind of gone to him and picked him as the new fate. That would have been a cool kind of harken back to the comic books where the helmet actually picked a younger person to be the new fate and he had to come to terms with it. Um, but they didn't do any of that. And it was just, you know, a kid just trying to motivate his fellow um, people to rise up and fight imaginary monsters where, where this was before black Adam came around. I have no idea because they could have easily done this to rise up to fight intergang, but they didn't. So it seems kind of disjointed a little bit, you know, they could have done a little bit more with all of them if they wanted to defend their community they could have. They didn't need a superhero to defend this community. So they looked like they took two different stories and tried to smash it together and fit it together as well as possible. And it, it succeeded for the most part, but at the same time, it fell a little flat. And I, I think so too. I mean, because, uh, yeah, these characters, I think, I agree. I mean, I found were, were partly stand-ins, like you were saying, for Adam's deceased family, especially Adri Adriana and Amon. And I think it's no surprise that Colette Serra and his writers draw attention to parallels between them. And there was this almost odd, at least in my eyes, sexual tension between Adriana and Adam, or maybe there was supposed to be, maybe on her part, I don't know. But I mean, you almost felt like, are these two going to end up hooking up or something like that? Because in the comics, of course, Adriana, like I said, turns into a goddess herself. So you do wonder whether that's what they were alluding to, but they didn't go that route. 
And I guess, like you said, she's the one who makes the most sense. I mean, she represents, I think, the voice of rebellion of Kandak, but she's also an archaeologist and, and such. And she understandably, like I guess most of the folks in Kandak, wants to rid their city of Intergang and for the city to simply be free. Though I was trying to figure out how the crown of Sadak would play into this, as it seems a little unclear as to whether Adriana simply wants to keep it away from Intergang or plans on at some point trying to use it herself, as she doesn't go voluntarily out looking for Adam, but she goes out looking for the crown. But it's, that's kind of almost lost in translation, lost in the movie as we progress. Like, we need the crown, we need the crown, but we're never going to use it. We're just going to have it and put it away. So I guess maybe it's we're keeping it away from Intergang. I don't know. And it's, it's, it's very odd how that was. At least I was a little bit confused when it came to that. And of course, when she meets Adam, she assumes he will be Kandak's champion and save them from Intergang. And partly, I believe it is her humanity and her strength and her resilience. And of course, you know, she's a very good looking woman, which melts his heart and kind of turns him into the champion that Adam's son was initially. And I guess Amon, I think, very much fulfills a similar role and reminded me also of the kids we had seen in previous films, in Hancock and in Samaritan, especially. It's just like they idolize their local heroes. So I guess Amon, uh, just as Amon does, and is probably the one who believes in Adam the most. And, and I guess, like you said, I agree. I think Adam sees in Amon a surrogate son. And uh, it's, I think that also allows him to let go of his anger as I guess like Adam's own son, he very much wants to fight for his city and get rid of the interloping intergang. So the closest relationship, I think, at the end of the day that Adam actually has is between him and Amon more than maybe him and Adriana, which was an interesting choice. I mean, as I said, I thought there was maybe some tension implied between Adriana and Adam, but maybe I was the only one who felt that. I mean, did you see that at all? Yeah, there were glimpses of it, but it was kind of, a passing glimpse. You know, you'd see one scene with them and you could almost feel a little bit of tension between them. Like if they were in the room together, but it didn't last very long. I don't know if it was just, there wasn't the right type of chemistry or the writing, whatever it was, but I didn't get that, you know, like, Oh, these two are meant to be together, you know, especially because they do a sequel and she does ascend to become a goddess that would make sense because then the son would become um, Black Adam's uh, sidekick and Osiris, unless they change that character's name again. So again, he's not technically Egyptian anymore. So there could be more tension in the second movie, but as of right now, nah, I don't, it didn't translate very well. And the same thing with the crown. I, I get what you're talking about with the, you see her one minute where she's like, I have the crown. And the next minute she's like, go hide it. And you're like, but are you going to use it? You're throwing it like, what's going on with the crown? Like you could, you could have just given it to the justice society if you didn't want this guy to have it. So it was like, they were giving mixed signals with even the crown with her character. So I, I think they just, they knew what to do with her to a point And they just didn't know what to do with her after that point. And they were trying to just like throw stuff you know, at the, the screen as it were and see what stuck. And it just, unfortunately they, they didn't do a good enough job with a couple of those little sub stories. They could have done more. I think so. Like you pointed out, I think very well is maybe we are dealing with like two stories kind of crashed into each other and the writers didn't know which way to go because 
you know, of course, yes, at the end of the day, Adrian, at least in the books, in the comics, does become Isis, and of course is heavily tied to the Shazam mythos. And of course, that would imply that Amon, like you said, would be Osiris. And they could have easily have just done that. They could have not had the Justice Society as much as we love these guys. It would have almost made for a more intimate story had, say, Adriana worn the crown and become Isis, for example. And that could have been actually a cool story if you wanted to do it. And you'd have a more condensed cast and more of a, would it, give it made more sense, I think. But maybe, like you said, that's what they're alluding to in uh, in Black Adam 2, it, once, once we get the sequel, that uh, Adriana will become Isis and there'll be more to these characters. But it's all up in the air. It remains to be seen. So uh, I guess then that we can, as we have talked about them a little bit here and there, let's get to our members of the Justice Society, starting with, I think, our more senior members. We have Aldous Hodge, or as Carter Hall, Hawkman, and Mr. Pierce Brosnan, of all people, as Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate. So, uh, uh, Keith, what did you make of these two guys? Well, first I will say that the actors playing both of those characters were very well cast. Pierce Brosnan, I could see him being the grizzled old, older Dr. Fate, you know, and Aldous, I've seen him on Leverage and some other shows and he plays a really good Hawkman, but I feel like they just were like, we need our version of, like I mentioned before, Black Panther and Dr. Strange. So these are what we're going to go with. And they did the substitution. So, you know, Hawkman, you have never heard of before this movie. He's a bajillionaire. He has his giant Batman level estate or even uh, X-Men level estate because he has a secret plane that's under a pool in his backyard. And we kind of chuckled at that in the movie theater, by the way, when the ground cracked open and the basically the stealth plane comes up and we're like, X-Men. Um you know, and then Dr. Fate, he, he's this supposed to be this hundred plus year old individual. He's seen some stuff. He has all these powers and abilities. I personally did not necessarily like the fact they changed the origin of his helmet, but that was more of a me thing. And I don't necessarily like, I was there with my girlfriend. She didn't understand why I was annoyed at it, but I was like, but his helmet's possessed by one of the Lord, Lords of Order, and he's supposed to be this all-powerful, and you're telling me it's from another planet. Oh, come on. That was pretty, some weak sauce right there. Like, what other planet's it from? You're just going to be like, it's from somewhere else. Move on. Like, we don't talk about it. Like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, the same thing with Hawkman. You know, Hawkman, he is supposed to be a character who is reincarnated from, again, Egypt. <laughs> because he's been exposed to a comet well, depending on which origin you go with, he's been exposed to a comet that made his soul immortal, but his body perishes. So, and then, you know, he's got a bajillion dollars and he's got this plane with this special metal, which we've never heard of up until this split second in time called Nth Metal. Nth Metal is one of the strongest metals in the DC universe. And it's supposed to be rare, like vibranium, except this dude's got an entire plane made out of the stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, that's going to be a thing. And his armor's made out of it, which it, what it's supposed to be, his wings are supposed to be made out of it because it gives him the ability to fly. You'll never know that because they don't explain any of that in the movie. But you just assume he has wings. He doesn't. That's fine. You know, he's got all this, this crazy arsenal. Again, fine. We're not going to explain much about that. So they present really great characters, but they nerf them so much 
they almost make them irrelevant. So I, I liked both of them, but at the same time, I think they didn't utilize them very well. I agree, because like you said, you have two characters which have so much lore and mythos behind them. And, you know, you and I actually have alluded to this in, you know, in previous uh, reviews and also you and I just talking off air that these were kind of the reasons why we wanted to actually go and see this movie outside of obviously having to do it for the podcast. Because these were, I mean, and, and I believe you, you mentioned this too, these were kind of the draws for, for you know, fans of comics like us to go to this film I mean, outside of Black Adam you know, I was like, oh, Dr. Fate is going to be in this. That is really cool. I love that guy. So I was really, that was my draw, my main draw, at least to it when it came to this film. And I guess, yeah, I mean, Hawkman is very much our de facto field leader when it comes to our four JSA members. And I did find that both he and Dr. Fate are supposed to almost act as mentors, I guess, for our other two JSA members, Cyclone and Atom Smasher. And case in point, this did make me chuckle. Hawkman chastising Atom Smasher on more than one occasion as a parent would possibly chastise a child. It did make me laugh when he was like, you and me, later, you and me. I thought that was hilarious. I will admit it made me laugh. And it got quite a nice laugh out of the, the, the rest of the audience uh, I was with as well. And I agree. I do think that uh, Aldous Hodge brought great energy to one of DC's more complex characters and he's not so different from Adam at the end of the day. He seems to see things very much in black and white and won't deviate from a mission he's assigned, but will do everything in his power to bring it to fruition while avoiding as many casualties as possible. So you have to appreciate him for that. But, you know, to your point you made earlier, it's kind of on the JSA that Adam is pissed because Adam didn't do anything. They went in saying, you're a threat. You're coming with us and everything else. So they started very aggressively. So it's kind of on the JSA, not on Adam when it comes to that situation. Uh, that said, I did get the impression of that staunch warrior, that charismatic leader, who at the same time doesn't maybe have much patience with his younger charges. And the only one who seems to really get him, I guess, is Dr. Fate. I mean, no surprise, we learned that the two have been the best of friends for quite some time. And it seems to me that for the most part, Hawkman will pretty much only listen to Kent and what he has to say. And it did sadden me that he had to, that Kent had to sacrifice himself. But I guess it goes to show you that though Kent most likely knew how to survive, he probably preferred to sacrifice his life for his friend, maybe rather than save his own skin in the knowledge he could have, but he didn't. And you wonder maybe, I guess, outside of being selfless, whether Kent did this because he's tired of being Dr. Fate and knowing everything and all possible outcomes. And the idea of death and something he does not know maybe might have been just intriguing to him. He's like, I've never tried this death thing. I don't know what's going to happen next. Heck, let's try it. I mean, at least that's the impression I got. But And I did like all, this, all the magic and special effects. Those were fun. I thought they were cool. But I agree. I think it was kind of a waste of a really complex and one of the most po powerful characters in DC Comics, possibly with the exception of the Spectre, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, I think the only one that hypothetically would be stronger is the Spectre. What kind of... I guess and irked me a little bit was, you know, Dr. Fate's always having these flashes of the future. You're telling me at no point in time, did he have a flash that black Adam was going to be awoken and he's going to wreak havoc on everything and blah, blah, blah. And maybe we shouldn't go in guns a blazing. You're, you're he, you see him have visions okay. of 
complete carnage, but he doesn't have the whole picture. So you would think that would have caused him to err on the side of caution. Like, I don't have the whole picture yet. Let's not go try to beat his brains in because he might kill somebody. And he knows who's going to die, but he doesn't want to tell anybody who's supposed to die. So you would have thought he would have cautioned it a little bit more. But nope, they just straight in, you know, guns blazing. Let's just, you know, hit first, ask questions later. And then realize, oh, um, I'm going to have to do the greater good, the, the sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. It happens in every movie. We know this. Avengers had Carl, uh, I was going to say Carlson, Colson. You know, every movie has that one person has to die before the team gets their crap together or the main hero gets his or her stuff together. This is this is true. I, I will agree. And I mean, but were you were you you also mentioned something else which um you know resonated with me as well, which was uh, the re- the uh, repetitive nature of some of the fights. Were you were you happy with uh, with what we got to see when it came to Doctor Fate and him flexing his magical muscles? I'm gonna say no, honestly. <laughs> you know, there, there were some cool fights like where he cloned himself and he had the multiples again. This just reminds me of, you know, Dr. Strange doing the same thing, blah, blah, blah. But he has this giant arsenal of magic and you don't really see him using a lot of it. And it it was really kind of frustrating because you and I and the comic book readers know he can do so much more. So you're expecting this crazy over the top magic battle when in reality, he barely slows him down. He can kind of restrain him a little bit but not enough that matters. So I feel like they nerfed him a little too much. They overcorrected with him. And, you know, I, I was disappointed. The special effects were great. His costume was awesome. And, you know, I really appreciated it. And before everybody goes on this flame war, I have a Dr. Fate tattoo. I've had one for four years now. So I'm definitely a huge fan of him. So I'm not just, you know, being the, this guy sucks, the, this guy sucks kind of thing. I, you know, I've seen him in some stories. I've read about him. Hell, he was even in, in some TV shows like, you know, Smallville and he had a better uh, presence, but I, the fights were great, but at the same time, they could have been better if that makes any kind of sense. Oh, it does. Heck, I would have been more than happy to have had a Dr. Fate solo movie rather than have him just thrown in here because like you said, it very much limits the, the potential this character could have had. So maybe we might have a prequel. I wouldn't mind if we got one because it could really be cool and go really, really trippy. Because folks, if you're not familiar with the character, think uh, Doctor Strange. But to the nth degree, it gets even trippier with Doctor Fate. And there's a whole thing of literally um, a god inhabiting his helmet and him almost going crazy. So there's so much you could do with this character. And hopefully we will get more with Hopefully the next Doctor Fate or heck a prequel. I guess we'll we'll see. So I, I let's then get, I guess, to the two younger members of the JSA. We have, of course, Quintessa Swindell as Maxine Hunkel Cyclone and Noah Chintineo as Al Rothstein Atom Smasher. So, Keith, what did you make of these two? I actually, I the Cyclone's character. She seemed the most interesting of the two. You know. She, she had it looks like a genius level intellect she was picking things up in the plane very quickly she could do a lot of things where 
Adam Smasher was just more of the, I pick stuff up, I put stuff down. He, he couldn't figure out how to put his shoes on if his life depended on him. So they were very polar opposites and you didn't see them really interact. You could almost say they were the mirrors to Hawkman and Fate. So Adam would be the Hawkman of the group. Cyclone would be the Dr. Fate of the group because she seems to be more of the brains, which I've never seen this young lady before, but she did a really good job. I wish they had used the two of them more in the movie to show them. And then, you know, the joke with Hawkman saying, you know, you, me later in the ship never happens. Like you don't see that. That's just like him talking smack to a giant guy who could, you know, literally squat, you know, squash him because he's an atom smasher. Um, The quips and the kind of moralic responses that he gives during his battles, like, oh, I'm sorry, I got lost. I got turned around. Dude, you're a giant. Like, you can literally step over buildings and you got lost in a city. Like, how does that happen? Crap is literally flying off behind you. And you're like, oh, crap, let me turn around. Had me concerned a little bit. So I I wish they had developed the two of them a little bit more, used them in the story more. I don't know if they're kind of planting those seeds as them being the JSA juniors, like they're the new members and they're going to kind of carry on in the next movie, assuming they have them again. But I don't know. I, the movie would have had the same end result without them. It would have had the same result with them. You know, he, Adam Smasher wasn't necessarily needed more than like for 30 seconds in the movie. Cyclone did two cool things. And then she helped bandage somebody up in the jet. Like, all right, well, okay, whatever. Literally Hawkman or fate could have done that. It's true. I You almost think it's like, it's almost very sad whether maybe she was shoehorned in because we have to have a female character. So we're going to put a random female character in here because representation. And it's, and I think, I mean, I don't want you know to, to come across that way. And maybe we almost does Maxine, should we say Contessa's character disservice, but it would have been cool if she had done a little bit more. I agree. I mean, these were, I think, clearly the kiddies of the group. And you kind of uh-huh. get the impression that we had that we had we stuck around maybe with, with these two a little longer, they most likely would have either hooked up as I got the impression of almost two love struck, nerdy, nervous teenagers who pretty much have not been on many big missions before. And they're kind of thrown in with the bigger dogs like Hawkman and Dr. Fate. And I guess what I did like is they seem to bond over their own personal awkwardness and they're literally nerding out kind of the feeling of finally being out on a big mission, being able to prove yourself and you're running with these big guys who, you know, uh, I guess in their minds, like super huge, even though I suppose in the grand scheme of things, they're kind of B-list, C-list superheroes, maybe B-list more, but uh, Uh, go ahead. No, I'm just laughing because I was trying to figure out like the the Justice Society they, they seem like the C team. Like you have the Justice League, Justice League America, and then the Society. <laughs> you know, these are the guys you call in when everybody else is on vacation. Like, well, like crap, who's available? Um, next, next, nope, nope. Okay, now there we go. I would have liked to see Cyclone either on her own HBO Max TV show because the way she gets her powers are so interesting. You know, uh, Adam Smasher makes this comment about, Oh, nanites are dumb and I don't understand how they work. And she just turns to him and goes, that's how I got my powers. And he was like, Oh, um, okay. And like, that's it. That's literally all you mentioned about it. And they just keep moving. Like I would have loved to have seen that because she's a 15, 16 year old. I'm not really sure exactly how old she is in the movie, but she says this happened. So she herself is just recently, come into these powers and abilities it's almost like they pulled a cyclops 
but with a young lady or not Cyclops, Cyborg rather. And, you know, because he was a high school student who became Cyborg after an accident. She is a high school student who became Cyclone after an accident. So I see the, you know, the similarities. So they were trying to not so subtly bring another character in with a similar origin as a failed character they brought in. So to, you know, include diversity in the, the, the show or movie. Uh, that, that's that's the impression I got as well, to be honest. I mean, that was that was really ha- kind of how I felt and kind of felt a little bit bad about it because, as I said, it would have been nice to, for her to have had a little bit more going on. I mean, because, uh, heck, I mean, in the comics, she's literally the granddaughter of the Red Tornado. So, I mean, that's big stuff in the comics anyway. So it would have been... I, I would, I, heck, I wouldn't even minded had they alluded to the fact that she is Red Tornado's granddaughter, because it would have also helped, I think, her and Atom Smasher to bond even more because of Atoms, because this particular Atom Smasher being the grandson of the original Atom Smasher. So that would have been also an extra thing to bond over, I suppose. But other than that, I agree. I mean, Cyclone, I thought, was also very cute in her excitement of wanting to show what she can do. Though I feel, like I said, we don't get much and we could have had a lot more. And like you said, it would have been great to maybe introduce this character or have her have uh, her own spin-off series and see and get more of who is this woman? You know, where does she come from? You know, let's get to know Maxine Hunkel. But we didn't get the chance to do that. And uh, Atom Smash, I think, is very much kind of more concerned about living up to the original Atom Smashers in his grandfather and ends up making these huge blunders, like you were saying, which could have been easily avoidable. It's like, oh, the battle's over there. And and I also thought to myself, what's with the black Deadpool mask? Because it seemed like way too similar. But I suppose, if I remember correctly, I guess it's similar in the comics as well. So if they're, if they're going for um, verisimilitude from the comics, and okay, it's maybe I don't recall, remember Atom Smasher as clearly as I thought I did. But other than that, you do wonder whether these two possibly needed a little bit more training. I mean, they were fun to watch for the most part, but it seemed to me that maybe Amanda Waller, or, or no, heck, it wasn't really Amanda Waller's fault. I think maybe Hawkman should have maybe have chosen somebody with a little bit more experience, but I guess maybe nobody else, like you said, was on to hand. So like, let's give these two kids a shot and see what happens. But it's, they very much seem out of their depth and they're very much like, what the heck are we going to do? Do we do this? Do we do that? And, but it was nice. They had, they, they had each other to, to bond over and like I said, possibly have a almost puppy love situation, which was kind of fun and kind of cute. So I guess then let's get to our villain in this picture because, folks, there is a villain. We have Marwan Eventually, exactly. We have Marwan Kenzari as Ishmael Gregor Sabak. So, Keith, what did you make of our big bad? Very generic. Um, You know, the first time you see him on screen, you can tell he's the bad guy. They're wandering around the cave and Intergang comes up and the guy is kind of the bad guy from Intergang acknowledges who it is. You can kind of see that for a split second. You're like, wait, he knows who that guy is. And then he punches him and cut to another scene later and comes back and he, he shoots the henchman who punched him because he hit him too hard. So you automatically see that he's not a hundred percent there. Like he thinks he's better than everybody else. And he just continues on through the entire movie. And he's always presented as him being above everybody else. Even when he's in that, you know, shielded room holding the sun hostage, 
he's still like, you know, I, I'm, I'm better than everybody, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he comes off as a super generic bad guy because you only see him for two or three minutes here, two or three minutes there, you know, and then you, you find out the twist of him being the last living relative of the fallen king from 5,000 years ago. And you're like, oh, okay. Explains his, you know, reasoning for going after this crown because he feels like he's entitled to it. And, you know, that's what this whole thing is about. Entitlement. But you don't know that until the last, what, 20 minutes of the movie? And then Black Adam loses his mind and blows everything up again and incinerates the dude. And that's where you come to find out that you had to die to become the chosen or um, the the horseman, as it were, I guess you could call it, from you know the crown. So it was kind of, I don't know, all over the place with him. I, I liked him a little bit, but at the same time, I feel like they could have done more with him. You know, explain his motives a little bit more, flushed it out, other than, oh yeah, I'm the great 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 grandson, blah blah blah. This is mine. I'm and then boom, dead and then resurrected. And you're like, wow, I spent three quarters of the movie watching you punch Hawkman, and then you're going to get into this big fight that ends in ten minutes. So it just all this build up, not enough, you know, kind of climax to it. You, it was big CGI battle and big CGI battle. And you're like, all right, great. Cool. I've seen this before. Yeah, it doesn't really add anything new to the table. I agree. And, and I, I felt the same thing because, you know, before I, um, I hopped into the, into the theater, I kind of looked up and saw this film. The runtime was roughly two hours and five minutes. And like you said, I noticed we were slowly but surely coming to the end. I'm like, wait a minute. We're going to have something else to fight. I mean, the whole film has literally been one big slugfest, which I'm, I'm sure is the cup of tea of a lot of people. Maybe a lot of people were there for a ginormous slugfest. But I, after a while, I was I'm starting to get a little bit of battle fatigue. In a sense, I was like, give me a moment to breathe here because these guys have just been beating the heck out of each other throughout the whole film. Can we have some character moments here and there? I mean, I don't mind seeing superpowered beings beating the crap out of each other, but still, there has to be a balance, I think, in a film when it comes to this kind of these kind of movies. And Marvel and the MCU has done it in some regards in some of their films. I mean, they're not perfect either. So, folks, I'm not necessarily putting down DC in favor of, of the MCU necessarily, but I think if the MCU has taught people anything in certain films is you do need character moments and character developments. And here it was very much wham, bam, slam, just beat the heck out of each other. And when it came to this character, the one word which came to me was afterthought. Because as yes. cool looking and threatening as this character can be, he didn't seem particularly well thought out. And you kind of have to have him in there just to have someone of equal power or superior for Adam and the JSA to fight. And had he been the main villain all along, as predictable and banal as it is, and been given more screen time, it may have made for a more satisfying character. But all in all, like I said, I found him to be an afterthought and a throwaway villain. Because you could have even just done Sabak versus Black Adam and, and, and throw in, if you wanted, Isis and Osiris. And you could have had the whole polar opposite of, do you want a monarchy or do you want a democracy? And you could have literally gone into that whole debate of, 
you maybe have some people who are, law, are royalists or you have folks who are like, we don't want a king anymore. We want the, a government by the people. So it could have worked. You could have been so much more profound, if you will. Seeing also what's happened today. I mean, I'm sure when this movie was made, Queen Elizabeth was still alive, but it could have posed almost that debate of, would you rather the way thing, carried on the way things were with tradition of having a king or a queen? Or do you think it's time for conduct to, to be rid of their monarchy and have a democracy or, or become a republic? So it was very much a missed opportunity, I think. Had they given Sabak more, had they written him better, it would have posed, I think, a more interesting question and been more than just a giant slugfest. Do you think they were trying to go... Um, the original Wonder Woman route where, excuse me, they were kind of alluding to another big bad and then at the last minute throw the twist, but with not as much development. You know, with Wonder Woman, the last 30 minutes, it was her fighting Ares and come to find out Ares had been pulling all these strings. Here it was kind of like, I'm the long lost, blah, blah, blah. I've got the crown, you know, obey me, blah, blah, blah. You know, but with not as much development. I, I think you're onto something there. I mean, I and I have kind of said my piece when it came to Wonder Woman, as I thought that you could almost have not had Ares and it would have been an even more um, interesting film had it been all yes. that it was Diana going on this quest, almost almost like a, a, Don, a Don Quixote kind of thing, fighting against the windmills where there was never an actual Ares. In my mind, it would have made for a more interesting story, but I get you have to have somebody to fight against. And I think so. Maybe that's what they did. Maybe they, they made the almost same mistake, if you will, that was made in that film of we have to have somebody for Adam to fight. And we have to have, you know, the folks who were fighting each other earlier rally together and unite to fight this one guy. That's what it was, plain and simple. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe I expect too much from these superhero <laughs> films. I don't know. But I mean, seeing how sophisticated some of the storytelling has become, I thought that would have been for an interesting, an interesting take. But as I said, maybe I just expect too much. I would have liked more of a Thanos kind of scenario where, mm. you know, they wake him up, <clears throat> they wake up Black Adam, they have the crown, they lose the crown, but they don't know where it is. And now he has to team up. You know, like you said, they do the team up. He joins the JSA and they go looking for this crown and then say in the second movie, he fights, they fight each other. And then that's where that you get that overarching political, you know, that not so subtle political, you know, do you get a democracy or the monarchy, you know, that kind of setup. I think they could have done a little bit more with them, but at the same time, they have the same issue that Marvel has. They kill everything that moves. So <laughs> if you're a bad guy, you're going to die. It's just, there's no nice way of saying it. Marvel has killed almost every single bad guy they have, except for Kang. DC is not far behind. So the only person I think that's still currently alive, villain-wise, is um, Lex Luthor. That, that's about it. That's all they have right now. Everybody else is dead. This is true, yes, because looking at you, General Zod, I mean, that's another one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's just, oh. 
I know, yes. In fact, what a waste. What a waste of killing General Zod. But I guess, you know, that was that was a huge, a huge one. But I agree. I mean, uh, that's why I said it seemed to me like they were almost like, we have the idea for two movies, but just in case we don't get a sequel, we'll throw everything into one film. So maybe right. that's what it was. Because like I said, sadly, neither you nor I are privy to information behind the scenes of how many, for how many films has Dwayne The Rock Johnson signed up for? What's the idea? Is this going to be just a one-off or is it almost like a test throw it to the wolves see if they like it if and if they do we'll give you another one or you know we're do we're already doing a black adam trilogy and you don't know about it haha ha, so you're going to get two more i don't know but uh, it almost seemed like it was almost like we're going to throw everything we can like you mentioned earlier see what the audience makes of it and if it's good enough we'll make another one but uh it remains to be seen but uh and i i guess uh uh, I guess then at this point we can get to our mid-credits scene, which we have alluded to a little bit here and there, and it has fueled some discussion on the interwebs. Of course, the the uh, the scene we're talking about is we get Amanda Waller sending a message to a defiant Black Adam and telling him never to leave the country, and then because she can call in somebody who could make life very difficult for him, and that person is Superman, who arrives and suggests that him and Adam should talk. So, Keith, I believe you had thoughts on this and your girlfriend had thoughts on this. Yeah. See, I wanted it to be Martian Manhunter because that would have been great because they cut him from Justice League. And that would have been a great way to redeem the Manhunter because the Martian Manhunter, again, is another one of these tanks. He is Superman level and he has all the powers and abilities and more. And I think he could have gone toe-to-toe with Black Adam. I get it. They wanted to plug Superman. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson has even said he wants a Superman-Black Adam movie. And they filmed this bonus scene a couple of weeks ago. So it wasn't something that was 100% guaranteed. This was a last minute, like most of this movie, kind of after the fact. The fact that she has him on speed dial. Why did she not send him in first? You know, it's that... I think he could have gone toe-to-toe with Black Adam, figured out his motives, talked him down, or whatever the case may be, and they could have had the same end results. Them finding the crown, fighting the bad guy, blah, blah, blah. Or better yet, they go to blows like in Batman versus Superman, and the crown gets away. And that's how you have the big bad for the phase two or part two or whatever they're calling, you know, the black Adam movies. So they could have done more with them. I'm disappointed. I love the fact that they brought him back because he got such a bad, you know, ride out of the series that he's did, you know, Batman versus Superman. You're like, all right. I personally think they made Superman too uh, broody. And I would have preferred him more of, the original um, DC Superman, where he is the pinnacle of hope, not the Jesus character. You know, they did it with Captain America. They made him a role model. They could have done that with Superman. And that's what I wish they had done, opposed to have him snapping Zod's neck and always hiding because his dad didn't want people to know he had powers and all this other silly stuff. And they just... They were trying to make it too dark and broody when you're taking a character who's supposed to be this pillar of society and something that everybody wants to strive for. So I 
I'm glad they brought him back and I hope they do something with him and they let him turn into more of the Superman everybody had really wanted originally. And and what did your girlfriend make of this scene? Because you said she wasn't too happy, apparently. She wasn't really impressed. She could tell that it was going to be Superman, but it was kind of like one of those like, meh, all right. And she has seen Justice League. She's seen all the DC movies. So it wasn't like she had no idea who Superman was or anything. It's just she wasn't as impressed as everybody else in the theater. We kind of all clapped a little bit because it was Superman and we hoped Superman came back. She was just kind of like, meh, it's Superman. Okay, whatever. <laughs> well, and, I guess good. It's not, you know, and she's more of like the, the average day moviegoer, you know, not the hardcore movie, you know, comic book nerds that are always like Superman's left handed, not right handed. You know, us people who nitpick, she's more of like she appreciates the movies and watches the movies and goes, okay. You know, she loves, she loved Aquaman, where I can't sit through Aquaman. So, just kind of goes to show where we are in the DC universe movie-wise. Yes, the DC extended universe is quite the mess, I'm sorry to say. And I and I guess we'll see what happens when we do eventually get to discuss the Aquaman sequel with with or without Amber Heard, I guess. So I guess we'll see what happens when it comes to that. But uh, I will agree. I am happy that Henry Cavill is back as Superman. And granted, I suppose... One could make the argument it was kind of alluded to in the first Shazam film as well, because somebody makes an appearance dressed as Superman. You can't tell if it's Henry Cavill or not, because, well, I mean, I guess he does make an appearance in a video, I believe it is, or something like that. But um, at the end of the Shazam film, we actually see Superman with the dinner tray, with the lunch tray. So I guess maybe they're trying to connect all the dots within the Shazam universe, possibly, because we had that one appearance in Shazam. We have him here. So maybe the third film will be like, we're bringing Shazam, Superman, and Black Adam together in one movie. And that's what that, that might be the plan, because I'm sure a lot of people are expecting Shazam and Black Adam to eventually meet, because, heck, they're part of the same magical universe, and, of course, they are historical mortal enemies and uh, rivals in the comics. So... You kind of think that's that's uh, that's something waiting to happen. So my idea is possibly once um, the the Shazam sequel is out, maybe the next one might be a Shazam Black Adam crossover and just throwing in Superman for good measure. So I guess it remains to be seen. But I was happy with this. As I said, Henry Cavill was given dealt a bit of a bad hand when he played Superman, and he's the closest I think you know decent actor you know looks enough like him i think he does a good job of him but i agree they have made him too brooding so far but once again it's Zack snyder Zack snyder only is able to do broody i mean if you like broody and you like Zack snyder you're more than welcome to it but <laughs> i think that i won't i don't think we'll ever see Zack snyder do a happy-go-lucky superman a la christopher reeve as much as i'd love to see that i really would but I don't see Zack Snyder doing that because it's not in his wheelhouse. But maybe if given to another director, we might get that. So uh, I guess we'll see whether Zack Snyder gets his hands on Superman again or not. But for the most part, I was happy with this. And so I guess we'll see where it goes, if anywhere. So, uh, Keith, anything else on this film before we get to ratings? No, I, I think we've... Or in this poor movie apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how much we liked it or disliked it. Because what do you, what do you give this out of ten? 
Man, if I could use a smaller scale, it'd be amazing. But if we're going, <laughs> if we're going to go out of uh, one out of 10, uh, I'm going to have to give it uh, three lightning bolts because I just, I can't recommend this movie in good conscience to people who like comic books. You know, it's a great action movie. It's great, you know, CGI. It's a rock movie. It's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But it's almost completely changed from the Black Adam in the comic books. So I would say steer clear, wait for it to hit HBO Max if you haven't seen it already. Okay, well, I guess then, yes, save your pennies, folks, rather than go to the theater and, and wait for it to come out. I mean, that, that's, that's fair enough. I'm actually going to give this a passing grade. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. I mean, it's not an amazing movie by any extent of the imagination, but as I mentioned before, it's better than Morbius, which I know, once again, is not saying much. But still, we had Morbius, which was supposed to be amazing, and it came out twice in the theaters, and it, it flopped both times. So... My, in fact, funny enough, my first comment, a friend, I told a friend of mine was going to see this. And uh, he said, so how was it? I'm like, it was better than Morbius. He's like, oh, it was that kind of movie. I'm like, yep. <laughs> so I explained I, it to everybody as it's, you know, like I told you, it's the Suicide Squad with superheroes. And I kid you not, one of the guys I, wa- I work with was like, oh, I didn't like that movie. I don't remember. And he's like, oh, I didn't like that at all. I was like, well, there, that's kind of where you're at. It's that kind of a movie. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to steer clear. So, exactly. So I'm I guess we can. Yeah, so I guess we can wait for it to drop to H to HBO or wherever it will go, folks. Uh, if you, I mean, unless you really, really want to stay up to date with everything that's going on, you know, possibly go see it in the theaters. If you don't want to people on social media to spoil stuff for you, you might want to go see it in theaters. But other than that, if there isn't that urgency and that you know super desire wanting to stay up to date with everything current, you can also, uh, I think, wait for it to drop to uh, to digital media as well because it's not particularly groundbreaking in the grander scheme of things. So. I think you can wait on it. So I guess that is our movie, folks. And uh, if, of course, you dear listeners want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here or would like to join us on the show, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter or at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. They'll be able to pick films to go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or even just films inspired by comics like Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants or Death Note or even films which inspired comics such as the Aliens franchise, Robocop, Terminator and more. Check all that out and join our army of patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. And uh, Keith, uh, when it comes to you, know, to you when you're not here on the podcast, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, they can find me on Facebook. I'm on the, our website all the time. So I always look forward to comments. So please, by all means, blow us up, throw some comments on there. Um, I'm also myself. I have a personal account, Keith Bliss at Facebook.com. Um, if you want to make friends with me, sure. I'm always game to talk about comic books, movies, sci-fi. I don't really care. I'm you know open to anything. Fantastic stuff indeed. And folks, uh, we'll definitely have to ch- also check out what the amazing tattoos Keith has because they're absolutely awesome. I think very much a tribute to his fan his fandom and love for superheroes indeed and comic books. And when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I can be found hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country and everything else in between. When about that, visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find me on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where with Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we're reviewing 
all the best picture winners in chronological order. This coming week, we'll be taking on the 1989 best picture winner, Driving Miss Daisy. And if superhero TV shows are your speed, myself and Charles Skaggs recently wrapped up uh, the season finales of uh, She-Hulk and Sandman on the Fandom Zone. And uh, roughly the beginning of next week, we'll be going into Titan Tower to uh, resume Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, as both Titans and Doom Patrol season four will be returning to the small screen. So we're looking forward to reviewing that. And speaking of things to come on this show next time, because it is that time of the year, we'll be taking on the 2021 Chris Palmer film, The Long Halloween. So, uh, Keith, any thoughts on our next movie before we sign off? I'm looking forward to it. You know, it, it's another story that begged to be made into a movie. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I know everybody enjoyed my last response to uh dark knight rises so or dark knight returns with my joker um <laughs> feedback as it were <laughs> so i'm looking forward to our, our next round of batman movies oh yes indeed you know it's going to be fun because we're definitely going to have some fun co-hosts the guest co-hosts joining us so it's always it's definitely going to be a great time so of course folks thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us we will see you next time with the long halloween until then stay super Ciao, mother.